Здравствуйте! Welcome to Tales from Babushka's Bookshelf, the first ever English language Russian literary podcast. I'm Sophie, and last year I moved from London to California to start my PhD in Slavic literature. With one year to go before some truly mammoth master's exams, I still have 100 books that I need to get through, and I'm hoping that you will be along for the read. Together, we will explore the classics of the Russian literary canon, interrogate what it means to be a canonical text, and think more about how the books we read shape the people that we become. In each episode, I will offer a spoiler alert summary of the text, share an excerpt from an English translation, and leave a little time for a discussion of the most intriguing questions that it raises. At the end, I might even share a line in the original for any budding language learners. Be on the lookout for some special guests, and with a little hope, I will master my reading list and you will be inspired to delve deeper into the treasure trove of Russian literature. Are you ready? Let's go! Поехали! So, I have to say that today I'm super excited because we are beginning with definitely a strange text. Um, I will venture to say that it's not my favourite, but it definitely shaped um, the trajectory of Russian literature uh, in the 19th century enormously. And so it's definitely um, a collection of texts and as a whole a text that has had profound influence. Um, so we are talking about or in English, Evenings on a Farm near Dikanka. This anthology of quirky and ghostly stories was written between 1829 and 1832 by a certain Nikolai Vasilievich Gogol, who was born in 1809 in Sorochinsu, Poltava, in what is now Ukraine, and during his life was known as Malorecia, or Little Russia. We're going to be hearing a lot more from Gogol in the next couple of episodes, but this was one of his first works to find critical acclaim. Gogol wrote these stories whilst in St. Petersburg, Russia, where he had moved to at the end of the 1820s, and where he was anxious to find literary success. According to some scholars, Gogol's decision to write about his birthplace in Malaysia was motivated by a new trend within the Russian capital for everything Ukrainian, and there were other writers at the time publishing tales also set in the countryside there. Much of Gogol's source material came from accounts that his mother sent of him of the goings-on in Sorochinsi, from old songs and folkloric tales from his youth, as well as from the other books of the day that centred around Ukraine, such as those by Somov and Kotlarevsky. And we even see some lines from Kotlarevsky's Aeneid within this text. What we find in this cycle are generically dissonant tales that feature at terms comedy, high drama, elements of the Gothic, and plenty of horror, which is probably why it's not my favourite. As we will discuss, there was also influence from further afield, namely from German Romanticism, but before we dive into a discussion of form, we can spend a little time outlining the basic structure of the text and the plot of the tales within it. So um, I think I'd like to begin with a curious gesture that has since become emblematic of Gogol's style, which is um, the preface to this cycle of tales um, as a kind of note from the person who has published them, Rudzi Panko, who compares the evenings spent telling stories in the Ukrainian countryside with the society balls of the Russian capital cities. 
Banco invites his implied readers to join, both metaphorically and literally, um, the nights spent in the Kanka, promising a warm welcome and delicious fare should anyone actually venture to go there. What is interesting about this gesture is that already there is a focus on narration and storytelling and manner in which stories are told. This is extremely um, metatextual and the reader is already aware of different storytelling techniques and potentially the biases and special interests of each of the narrators of the cycle. The first tale that we are presented with is Sorochinsko Fair, during which the present girl Paraska, whose father Cherovik has come to sell wheat at the fair, is courted by the young Gridska. Whilst Paraska's father is not against their betrothal, her mother Havronia certainly is, and she scolds her husband for approving of it. Um, sensing that he might not be allowed to marry their daughter, Gridska solicits a gypsy to help him hold the wedding, nevertheless. And meanwhile, Cherovik learns that the place where the fair is held has been subject to a kind of curse. Um, once upon a time, a devil who had gotten drunk at the local inn had to pawn his jacket to the innkeeper when he ran out of money. Upon his return to retrieve this jacket, he found that it had been sold on to someone else, and they had then in turn sold it on to someone else, and so many different people had bought the jacket that parts of the fabric were scattered all around the fair, with only one more sleeve left for him to find. As we will see, devils are a huge um, motif within the cycle as a whole, um, and so the next morning after Cherevik hears this terrible tale, he finds a mysterious piece of red fabric on himself. Um, and that day he was intending to go to the fair to sell his horse. As he drives to the fair with the horse, he meets a gypsy. And at the time of their encounter, suddenly his own horse disappears and he's left with only his bridle and the piece of red fabric. A little mob appears out of nowhere and immediately accuses Chirivik of stealing Chirivik's horse, which is absurd since... It's his own horse. He is then imprisoned by the mob and is offered bail by Gritska on the condition that Gritska can marry Paraska. And this was all part of the great plan that he had hatched with the gypsy. We most likely would not have time to go through every single one of the tales in the cycle. However, the second tale, St. John's Eve, is a particularly strange one. And definitely gives a little bit more detail into the stylistics of this text. St. John's Eve is told second-hand by the rather unreliable narrator former Grigorievich. He does not allow Rudipanko to narrate the story, even though he does begin or intends to. No, former Grigorievich can tell it better, in his own opinion. This tale, whose plot is extremely complex in the manner of a mildly creepy soap opera, is essentially one of impossible lovers, Petro and Pidorka. Pidorka's father, Korsh, will not allow her to see his estate worker, Petro, and initially he intends to punish Petro for even daring to court his daughter. However, Pidorka's brother, Ivas, tries to intercede for kindness from Korsh, his father, towards Petro. No good deed goes unpunished, and... Petro is so desperate to marry Pidorka that he makes a pact 
with a devil called Basavriuk and subsequently a witch um, to whom he is led by Basavriuk, which involves him sacrificing Ivas and killing Ivas. This all happens in such a trance that he does not actually remember this deed. And Petro ends up married to Pindorka, but is wrapped with a kind of unconscious guilt, a sense that he's missed something. Um, and when he does remember the terrible thing that he's done, Petro is taken by the devil, and the tale ends with Basavriuk still haunting the village of Dikanka, in spite of different efforts by the townspeople to get rid of him. And Dikanka ends up relatively abandoned. The tale after this is May Night, which recounts the romance between Levko and Hannah. This couple also faces difficulties and initially um, they are banned from marrying one another. However, this does end up resolving itself. One night, Levko tells a curious story to Hannah about a young girl who was forced by her evil, witchy stepmother out of her father's home and in despair, drowned herself. Levko and his friends, meanwhile, have been busy playing pranks in their village, in which his father is the mayor, in order to avenge him for not allowing the marriage between Levko and Hannah. One day, however, Levko does not join in this merriment and instead ventures to the water, where he meets the drowned maiden that he spoke of, whilst he is in a kind of trance. He helps the maiden to track down her evil stepmother, who has been in disguise as one of the maidens of the village, with whom he has been playing and everyone has been enjoying the hijinks that have been going on in the town. And in what seems a kind of um, reward for this behaviour, Levko is enabled to marry Hannah through the very strange... Um, counsel and summons by a higher official than his father, the mayor, which suggests that he ought to marry Hannah. And within this tale, although there's lots of um, kind of minor details and plot details and intrigue, there are also really rich descriptions of landscapes of the village and of the countryside. Then the final tale in the first book of these tales is The Lost Letter, in which the sexton former Grigorievich's grandfather is challenged to a card game by a group of witches. After that, we have The Night Before Christmas, um, in which, a, among other events, a very charming witch hides her suitors in coal sacks until they're discovered. And then A Terrible Vengeance, in which the beautiful and newly married Katerina is suddenly tragically widowed and it is in fact her long-lost sorcerer father who has contrived to marry her. This tale, again, is very rich in describing Kiev and the Carpathian Mountains. There are two more texts that finish the cycle and are the last two texts within book two, and that is Ivan Fyodorovich Sponka and his aunt, um, which is a hilarious tale in which a sturdy old aunt entreats her nephew to return from military service to his estate. And once he arrives at this estate, he is treated rather badly and has to do lots of chores and is also harassed by his aunt to get married. 
And the final tale is called Somewhere Bewitched, which in many ways is much less um, motivated by drama or plot. There are very minor dealings with the devil, with a cemetery, with a cauldron that's bewitched, um, but there's far more elements of the fantastical and of the everyday, which are certainly present within the other tales, but they are markedly more dramatic and suspenseful. So we've had a slight overview of what happens. We haven't given everything away, but um, why is this interesting? Why do we care about this newcomer who came to St. Petersburg, wrote these stories about Ukraine? What is it about them that was so striking at the time and to this day? Um, Вечера на хуторе Близдиканки was published in 1830 in the February edition. Well, selections from it because we know this was completed in 1832. Um, selections were published in the February edition of And Google didn't like the editor making changes and so actually refused any further newspaper publication. He became... Um, under the patronage of Pyotr Plitnyov. And it was actually Plitnyov who suggested this beautiful gesture at the beginning of a kind of fake publisher or narrator behind which he could hide. At the very first stage of its publication, there were criticisms of the stories being only very loosely linked, being too specific about Ukraine and being too stylized that... Um, made them confusing, but there was overall a positive reaction. Alexander Pushkin saw what he called a real poetry within the stories and a real sensibility. And certainly reading these tales, you do have the sense that you're around the fire or at the heart and really hearing these storytellers and feeling the eerie presence of the demons or creepy witches or enchanted objects. Another element that really adds to this is the Lexis in the text. There are plenty of Ukrainian um, language excerpts and also dialect forms in Russian. There are narrative voices for each of the tales that cuss, interject and make little comments to the reader, particularly in that opening preface. And there's even the element of incompleteness built in to the work because there are sections where it's stated that pages got lost at one stage, some pages of a story are baked into a pie by someone's wife. Um, and again, thematically, the representation of women as in many cases negative figures is obviously jarring and uncomfortable but profoundly personalised within the text. The stereotype of the wife who kind of henpecks her husband or the witches brewing some terrible fate for a young dashing suitor All of these are extremely 
um, subjective and add to the layering and the concealment of Gogol the writer behind all of the narrators within this text. And I think I'd like to share something along these lines for the English translation this week. This is a translation by Constance Garnett, and this is the beginning of Ivan Fyodorovich Shponka and his aunt. There is a story about this story. We were told it by Stepan Ivanovich Korichka, who came over from Gdyach. You must know that my memory is incredibly poor. You may tell me a thing or not tell it. It is all the same. It's just pouring water into a sieve. Being aware of this weakness, I purposely begged him to write the story down in a notebook. Well, God gave him good health. He was always a kind man to me. He began to work and wrote it down. I put it in the little table. I believe you know it. It stands in the corner as you come in by the door. But there I forget, you hadn't been in my house. My old woman, with whom I have lived thirty years, has never learned to read. No use hiding one's shortcomings. Well, I noticed that she baked the pies on paper of some sort. She bakes pies beautifully, dear readers. You will never taste better pies anywhere. I happened to look on the underside of a pie. What did I see? Written words! My heart seemed to tell me at once. I went to the table. Only half the book was there. All the other pages she had carried off for the pies. What could I do? There's no fighting at our age. I think what I'd say about that extract is it does sound a tiny bit dated. Um, It's an old-fashioned translation, but I think what carries is this kind of older gentleman bemoaning, but also very understanding of his wife baking this important story um, into the pies because there's the fallibility of his own memory which is what necessitated writing the story down in the first place and I think especially when we're considering that relationship between uh, Malarysia, Ukrainian lands and St Petersburg and the printing press and the newspapers and publishers and why is it that we privilege written works why is it that stories that make it into paper are so tightly regulated and how are they different from oral histories or the stories that our friends tell us and what really makes a wonderful storyteller and I think that's what's um funny about that uh, little extract and then I'd like to read a tiny line in Russian um, about when the evil sorcerer sees Kiev and Karpats Kapitian Mountains. Ves vzrognulan, kada už je pokazalis blízko před ním Karpatské gory i vysoký křivan, nakrývší svoje těmě, budte šapkou sérou tučí, a konce nose i už rýskal po garam. Tučí razem čistilis i před ním pokazal se v strašném veličí vsadník. On silice stanovit se křepko natěgivá tu díla, díkar žalkon podímaj křivu i umčal se křičerio. That's just a kind of interesting moment because you have the parallel between the night and the mountains as these imposing forces and I think that's really key to the text is establishing a kind of symbiosis with nature in that there are figures who as witches or as 
enchantresses, sorcerers, devils, it's not very clear whether they are human and they are kind of expelled in the way you would expel beasts. And there's also, which we didn't go into, um, lots of motifs with pigs and snouts and very creepy little um, animalistic elements. And so I think there is a renegotiation of um, those boundaries between living different living things and also the supernatural and the natural. So I think, given that's the first episode, I will stop there. But we'll be back to Gogol soon enough. We have his play Revisor and Miodvi Dushi and also The Nose and many of those other Petersburg tales when Gogol already makes that leap from the, I'd say, I mean the periphery in, in what was the imagine the collective imagination of St. Petersburg, these t- places in Ukraine were peripheral, but he's recentering them in a way and then diverting from them when he writes his Petersburg tales. So I hope to meet with you soon. I hope that this has been an intriguing introduction to Gogol and to Vichirana Hutsere Blizdikanki. And Продолжайте читать. Do keep reading.